Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All right. Dougie Fresh. Hello. <laughs> What's up, kids? It's that time. Hi. Guess who we have today, Joel? Oh, I don't know. It's a return guest is the rumor that I've heard. <laughs> Everybody who's out there. We have Douglas Atkin, uh, who we're going to be talking about. Colt Hell Brand. yeah. Colt Brand and recruitment. That's right, kids. If you don't know Douglas's work, well, he's a Colt Brand expert, former global head of community at Airbnb, held a position as partner and chief of community or chief community officer at meetup.com and literally always the smartest, coolest dude in the room. You guys, you guys. <laughs> did, did I mention that Douglas actually authored the book? Colting of Brands. He wrote the book. He wrote when the they book. say that he wrote the book, he really wrote <laughs> the, the book. I didn't just write the book. He created an entire industry and their events. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But today, <laughs> we're this is the sixth installment of Douglas's How to Live Your Purpose series, uh, which are intended to be a compliment to his writing over on Medium, and most importantly, focused on how to become and stay a cult brand. Welcome back, Douglas. How you feeling, man? What's up, Douglas? Very good. Well, after that introduction, my God. Today's show is centered on use it to recruit, review, reject everybody. Reject. Even customers. <laughs> so right out of the gate, as we talk about this, Douglas, the hardest thing for any company to do is reject talent that they feel is perfect for them, but not might not be perfect for their company. Can you tell us a little bit about how Airbnb had this brand, had this focus, had all these individuals who were doing culture slash interviewing uh, and grading? How, how did that actually affect hiring managers and affect a candidate that you wanted yeah right right exactly so so i mean that happens to all of us so you know here here there i was being a huge um <laughs> you know champion of the core values and the purpose and all of that and then i found out that someone i desperately needed uh, you know as global head of community part of one of my roles was um we we hired some grassroots organizers from the obama campaign that had written the written a playbook basically on grassroots organizing because we were having to deal with something that most companies never have to deal with which is that um we were we helped launch a new economy the peer to peer or sharing economy but it was bumping up against old laws that didn't recognize this new form of commerce um, new laws that were different in each of the 34,000 cities in which we operated. And so that meant most of our hosts were illegal according to these old laws. So we were trying to change laws, but we had no lobbyists at the time. We had no, we had one lobbyist actually now, I remember, for the whole world. It was insane. 34,000 cities. Ouch. We had, um, I know, we had one lawyer. We had, we had no money really. I mean, where, whereas the hotels, for example, in many of these cities who were getting to see us as a threat had oodles of money for lobbying and been doing it for decades and decades in all of the cities all over the world. So um, to cut a long story short, I said, but the only way we can deal with this is we don't have money power, but we do have people power. We do have people who really like Airbnb. 
This is in 2012, 2013, 2014. So I said, but we need to train them to uh, go and talk to their elected representatives and make their case about how they should be legalized. And so I did that by hiring um, these grassroots organizers. Anyway, I had found this brilliant woman and I really wanted to kind of parachute her into this particular city that was, was blowing up, you know, with, um, with threats of shutdown of Airbnb and everything else. So I really needed her. But the way Airbnb ensures that there is, uh, that the people who join Airbnb share the same values that everyone else shares within Airbnb is they do these what we call core values or culture interviews. So you may have your, just like any other company, six to eight to 10 interviews with people who are in your discipline. Say you're an engineer or a marketing person. You may have, you'll be interviewed by, by engineers already in the company to see if you're, you're good at your job. Um, but then, unlike most companies, you get two interviews, two separate people who are interviewing you to see if you will be a culture fit. And it's a very specific interview where certain things need to be ticked off, uh, where you need to display as the candidate things you've done in your life that show that you share the same values. And the values are very, you know, everyone can see what the values are at Airbnb. They're champion the mission and be a host and be a entre serial entrepreneur. You, you, you have to prove those things. Now, the important thing is those culture or core values interviewers have veto power. As in this case, um, it could be the best candidate uh, in the world. But if they fail the culture or core values interviews, they're not hired. So, so I'm ashamed to say that when I heard she had failed the core values interviews, I was, you know, swearing and uh, rampaging about, I'm afraid, um, <laughs> even though I know that it was exactly the right thing to do, you know, but now I'm, a, as many other managers have been, you know, sort of like going, well, I need this person right now. I need them yesterday. What am I going to do? Of course, I very quickly became resigned and then uh, happily compliant because I knew more than, you know, more than most that if you hire someone who does not fit, who don't share the same values, short term, you may solve the problem that you need them to fix. The longer term, they'll create even worse problems. Right. They'll be, you know, they'll either not espouse the values, which is bad enough, or they'll actively work against them and create cynicism and toxic culture. And so they will be, you know, a really bad long term. So I, in the end, you know, we figured it out. We figured out something else. I managed to find someone else to do the job in the short term. And of course, I was happily, uh, <laughs> happily compliant. But, um, but that's the way Airbnb does it. So there's this gate, if you like, that um, is there that makes sure that people who come into the company, and this includes everyone, you know, this includes leaders of, of whole businesses and everything else. They have to have these culture or core values interviews. And there are, there are, there are people, you have to apply to be a core values interviewer if you're already at Airbnb. And then you're given a really good training. And about 10% um, of the employees are, across all disciplines and tenures and locations and things, are qualified to, to be these culture interviewers. Is 10% planned or is it just, it just happens to be 10%? It just happens to be 10%. There's about 500 at the moment. And uh, sorry, my beagle is sneezing. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> this whole process, these core values interviews and interviewers happened um, in 2012 when the three founders realized that they couldn't interview everyone themselves anymore. This is when the company was about um, 180 people, I guess, 200 people, something like that. They, they no longer had the time or the capacity to interview everyone. And, and that's what a large, large part of what they did was interviewing for cultural fit, not just the skill. 
there's no way Brian will be able to assess uh, an engineer's skill, but he certainly can assess whether they would be a cultural fit or not. So, so that's when they set it up in 2012. They, they created the core values and then they created the core values interviewers to make sure that they recruited people who shared those, those values. But Airbnb uses the purpose and core values to recruit um, everyone into the, into the company. But that also applies to, to reviewing. So once you're in the company and you're working, you know, reviews uh, happen to most people who work. Normally, reviews are about uh, what you achieved, what you did, you know, what impact you made. And um, that's true at Airbnb. But there is an equal amount of emphasis given onto not just what you did, but how you did it. The how being, did you do all these wonderful things at Airbnb while living the core values and um, making sure the purpose is... <laughs> Can you hear that? Poor guy. <laughs> is that the dog? He's beagle. Oh. <laughs> Maggie the beagle is sneezing. Oh. Maggie, what's going on? Poor guy. <laughs> Maggie, you're interrupting my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, she's, I'm awesome. going to have to. Do you want to pause? And I'll, I'll Welcome to 2020, everybody. Oh, good. Let her sneeze. <laughs> this, is, yeah, this, okay, is, good. this is real life. Good. Okay. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Right. Yeah. So, um, it doesn't, so uh, there's this gates that make sure that people who come in share the core values and, and buy into and live, want to live the, uh, the purpose. But also while they're there, the, you, you know, you don't let up on that. There's this review system and the review system measures, uh, not just the what, but also the how. It measures what you did and how well you did that, but also how you did it. I, how you, whether you did these amazing things whilst, um, living the core values and, and, and championing the mission. And they're given um, equal power. So, you know, you, you, if you've achieved a huge amount, but you didn't do it by the core values, that's a fireable offense. And you'll be given a warning and, you know, and help to, to try and do that better. But if it continues, then no matter how good an engineer you are or a marketer you are, you'll end up leaving. So that seems fairly subjective, though. I mean, how do you, how do you actually police that and enforce that without some people feeling like, you know, they are being done wrong. Yeah. And does, does veto power ever go to anyone's head? Is anyone monitoring them or checks and balances in place? Yes, there are always. There are, there are. There are. So if there's any dispute about it, then, you know, then it'll be discussed with their peers or with a hiring manager or, you know, all these kinds of things. But, um, and also in terms of reviews, I mean, the reviews are sort of 360 reviews and um, they're very specific. You know, you have to give evidence for things, gotcha. not just about evidence for what you did, but also evidence for whether you did or didn't do something according to the core values. So it's all evidence-based. So that's recruiting and reviewing and, and rejecting. And uh, this also applies to companies. And Airbnb has grown and has acquired some companies over the past few years. And the mergers and acquisitions team has also been trained to assess a prospective company's purpose values and whether they are a good fit with Airbnbs. Because I'm sure you guys know in HR, some of the worst things to happen to a culture is if there's a merger or an acquisition where there's no cultural fit. It can, it can destroy everything. The process of, of merging and or acquiring a company is very intense. There's a lot of contact generally or should be a lot of contact between the acquiry and the acquired. And um, so you can see in their practices and how they do things, whether that, that is sort of aligns with your core values or not. Um, but also the senior leadership of the, of the company to be acquired is given core values interviews, obviously, because they're disproportionately influential. 
And at least, um, at least one candidate in the past few years has been rejected, not on the basis of what of their business, but on the basis that they they are, were not a good fit with our purpose and values. And I was really surprised, Douglas, to read in your in your post that over a million hosts, so even the people who are renting yeah, yeah. Uh, Airbnbs, have to have to take a pledge essentially when they do. Uh, over a million is surprising, but there's also, I guess, a story to that. It was put in place later because there was an incident with either racism or uh, a host uh, wouldn't accept someone on on other reasons. We apply the you know use your purpose and core values to recruit, review, and reject customers too. And this is particularly important for Airbnb because, especially with our hosts, there are about five million hosts. Um, they're the ones who deliver the service, basically, not us. I mean, we do to some degree, but it's mainly the hosts who are delivering this, the mission of a creator world where anyone can belong anywhere. And um, so it, we're very closely aligned. Hosts and Airbnb, you know, our interests are always virtually the same. And so we, uh, Joe Gebbier and I had always talked about acquire, uh, creating some kind of gate, similar gate to the one we have for uh, potential employees for hosts and guests, not just hosts, but hosts and guests. That, that made those sure that they were they were genuinely part of this community that bought into this idea of you know being a local anywhere in the world and welcoming and hosting people and all that stuff. So uh, we always wanted to do it, we just never got around to it. And then an, an event happened, which I'm sure people can remember, when um, uh, some guests uh, were saying that some hosts they felt were were rejecting them on the basis of their race which was uh, a complete nightmare. I mean, and again, that's something we should have been dealt with uh, before. But so anyway, that, that basically accelerated this idea that we've been playing with and made it action. And now on the join page, I'm just looking at it here, where you, you know, you've, you've done your listing or you've done your profile as a guest mm-hmm. and you have to accept or decline the terms of service, but you also have to accept or decline this. It says, before you join, our mission is to build a trusted community where anyone can belong anywhere. To ensure this, we're asking you to accept our terms of service and make a commitment to respect everyone on Airbnb. And then there's this thing called the Airbnb Community Commitment. I agree to treat everyone in in the Airbnb community, regardless of their race, religion, national origin, ethnicity, skin color, disability, sex, gender identity, sexual orientation or age, with respect and without judgment or bias. And then you have to accept or decline. And over a million declined. Over a million declined, which meant that, which is, is, you know, (laughs) great because you don't want those people on your platform. Yeah, no. It's sad. Yeah. It's sad that you don't want. Uh, it's but sad that there are a million people like that, you know. Basically, so it's real. In other words, so basically, what we are turning away customers because they do not buy into our purpose and our values. So that's like a, it's a real thing. That's a million potential customers, probably more now because that that was um, an old data point of that year or two years old. Then it was made even more clear where we stood on this because our glorious president uh, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> did <laughs> did as he, he does, you know? Did this whole uh, banning people from certain countries from uh, um, from visiting the United States and so on and so on? Yeah. So I hastily put together. There was an ad uh, in a Super Bowl called "We Accept" that was basically about we accept everyone and and so should America. And and then and the New York Times wrote about this ad uh, and about the whole this whole initiative. And it says, I'm quoting the New York, New York Times now in a memo to employees. 
After the executive order from Trump, Airbnb's chief executive, Brian Chesky, was more explicit about his opposition. This is a policy I profoundly disagree with, and it is a direct obstacle to our mission at Airbnb, a mission being anyone can belong anywhere. Mr. Chesky wrote on January 29th, that weekend, the company began to provide free and subsidized temporary housing for people who have been affected by the immigration restrictions. So that's when we and our hosts via this program called Open Homes gave free lodging for people who were, who was, were struck by this restriction. So that, that was a very public and uncompromising commitment uh, to our purpose, uh, you know, going against government policy, essentially. And Brian um, has received death threats. Jeez. I know. We'll get back to the interview in a minute. Building a cult brand is not easy, which is why you need friends like Rupesh Nair, CEO of Symphony Talent, on your side. Okay, Rupesh, hiring companies can't hire diverse candidates if diverse candidates aren't applying for their jobs. What should hiring companies do differently to attract a more diverse candidate? So for diversity specifically, companies should think about why do they want diversity in their organization and ensure that they are bringing that into the conversations about hiring diverse candidates because that's how they can be genuine about diversity because just checking a box saying, I want to be hiring diverse candidates is not going to help. So the first thing is thinking about why do you want diversity? What are the different groups you are targeting as you think about diversity and then bringing those messages, which basically is going to resonate to that particular group of diverse candidates into your engagement, whether it is kind of as you reach out in the mass media and target specific diverse groups, as you basically nurture these diverse groups once they have connection with you is very important. Because to your point, you won't get a diverse candidate till you get in front of a candidate. And the only way you can do that is by figuring out what is the connection point between you and the diverse candidate. And it is very, very easy to kind of cast a net saying, I want diverse candidate. But the truth is there are many, many groups of that diverse candidate and you need to be really clear on who exactly are you targeting. Let Symphony Talent help activate your brand and keep relationships at the heart of your talent strategy. For more information, visit symphonytalent.com. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Back to the cult brand, I mean, really understanding what a cult brand is. And we talk about it on the podcast all the time where companies say that they're committing to something and that they have a purpose, but that's just all lip service. This is specifically saying, here's our purpose. We're abiding by our purpose and we're showing you a million people declined to actually working with us because they didn't believe in our purpose. And guess what? 
Fuck them. Basically, yes. It's true. So it's, what I'm saying is that when you operationalize your purpose, it suddenly gets, you have to make it real. That means that you that decisions will be made that often in the short term will hurt growth or profit, revenue, whatever. In the long term, though, um, you're doing it for the long term because you think in the long term, you will definitely make that revenue and profit back in a multiple. Yeah. Because you you're will be appealing to those people who do buy into your mission and there'll be enough of them to make it all worthwhile. It's the only way that you get true believers, right? The only way you get true believers. So this is true, by the way, of any community. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about a church, a religion, a political party, a, um, a, a, you know, a club, whatever it is. Every com- a community basically is a group of people who share something in common. And the strongest communities, and I learned and saw this when I worked at meetup.com, you know, meetup.com was about getting people online to get them offline to meet other people who shared their passions and interests. That could be pugs. It could be vampires. Vampires. It be, yeah, vampires. <laughs> it could be, <laughs> it could be belly dancing. Still have dancing. nightmares of that story. <laughs> but anyway, so, but the point is what we saw was that one of the criteria for a successful, strong meetup group that had you know, loyal members who did lots of stuff was that um, they had a very clear purpose and they lived it. And they were very clear about who should join that meetup group and who shouldn't. And so and the ones that were explicit about, if you want to do this, this, and this, and believe this, this, and this, then please join. If you don't, then I'm sure there's another meetup for you. And, and companies are basically just large communities. They're large meetups, really. And they equally must be super clear about uh, what, what world they're trying to create what they stand for, what their values are, and say, if you buy into these ideals as we do, then please come and join. If you don't, then I'm sure there's another company for you that where you will fit in. Right. Turning back toward you know internal employees, we're talking about belong anywhere. That is awesome. The belonging piece. But what about the belong here campaign or promotion or whatever. I'm not sure what you actually called it that you put together. Why did you do that? Why was it so important? Well, yes. Okay. So there was, um, it was important because uh, quite simply, if our mission is to create a world where anyone can belong anywhere, obviously you had to make sure that the employees felt they belonged here at Airbnb, right? Mm -hmm. If they didn't, then how could they ever um, truly, credibly, authentically execute against that, that purpose? So um, at a bare minimum, I wanted to see whether em- employees at Airbnb felt that they belonged at Airbnb. That was because that was our mission was was all about belonging somewhere. But there was another reason for doing it, which was and in the end, what I did was a was a piece of I went out, uh, did another odyssey around the world, talking to people <laughs> in our offices all over the place, hundreds of people. I went around asking um, a series of questions to find out whether they felt they belonged or didn't belong um, in their team at Airbnb. And because there's a very, there's a, another reason that applies to everybody, whether belonging is your purpose or not. You need employees to feel like they belong. Um, at your company. And the reason why is because when people feel like they belong, and this is something I learned from doing all the interviews of cult members, all the interviews and people I spoke to at meetup groups, the movement making, everything. I know that when people feel like they belong, there's a great feeling of safety and trust in the team. They think I'm with people who get me. They understand who I am. Yeah. I understand who they are. I feel like I belong. I feel at home finally. What that means is you can 
relax and be the full person that you are. You know, like the the, the full Joel, the full on hundred percent Joel. Yikes! On, yeah, I know that's a bit scary for everyone. <laughs> nobody right? wants that. Yeah, nobody wants that. So yeah, go to a place where you don't feel you belong. Um, so th- that's when people really shine and become themselves is when they're in a team where they feel like they belong and they're safe and they have trust. And as I was um, doing this, uh, as it happened. Google uh, published a study that was uh, talked about in the New York Times and other places where they had researched what made their most successful teams successful. And it came down to one thing, basically, which was that there was enough trust um, within the team for people to take risks and innovate. Right. So no one's going to go out on a limb and do something that's never been done before if in a context of fear. Because you're going to get, you know, fired or you're going to get laughed at or belittled or something. So you can only, you can only take a risk. You can only go on out on the rim and say, I, I don't know if this is going to work. I think it's going to work. I've got evidence it's going to work, but I don't know for sure. If you're in an environment of trust and safety where you feel like people have got your back and uh, are giving you space to innovate and all those kinds of things. So, so that's another key reason why you need people to feel like you belong in your organization because they are not going to truly become themselves and feel that it's safe enough to innovate and take the entrepreneurial risks that need to be taken um, unless they feel like they belong. So I did this huge study and what was great was that I was able to uncover what it was specifically that made someone feel, go from feeling like a stranger. Sometimes even people said they had like the sort of imposter syndrome when they arrived at Airbnb to feeling like they belonged and and being the best version of themselves they'd ever been and give their best ever work. And so I could, I was able to identify the triggers. I did. It was quite, uh, it was quite an emotional journey actually, because the questions I were asking were not your normal employment questions. I would be interviewing people one-on-one and I would um, give them uh, pieces of card and I would say, think of the moment in your, the, your life where you felt like you most belonged somewhere. Doesn't Anyway, I'm not talking about work, but at any point in your life. And write down three words that described how you felt at that moment and draw a little picture, a little stick man or something. And then they would do that and we'd talk about that. And then I said, now... Now think about the, the moment in your life where you felt most rejected, most like a stranger, most alienated. Write down three words to describe what you were like and draw a little picture. And then I did the same thing in an employment context, in Airbnb. I said, think of uh, the moment when you most felt you belonged at Airbnb, three words, picture, and now the moment when you, you only felt you most, you know, you felt most rejected uh, or alienated at Airbnb, if, if ever. And so, I mean, God, people were crying, <laughs> sometimes with joy. They were very emotional because you're, you're talking about a fundamental need of the human condition, which is about do I belong or do I not? Can I be who I am or, or do I have to like um, have a persona and hide myself and live in fear? But anyway, well, out of that whole exercise, accumulating and aggregating all of those, all of that data, it was very useful to identify um, what it makes, what it takes to make someone feel like they belong and give their best selves. And what it takes to screw that up and make them feel rejected and feel like they don't belong. In the process, I also uncovered, because it was a concern of ours at the time, you know, as Airbnb was growing bigger, are we maintaining our entrepreneurial quality? And, you know, the people we're hiring, we used to hire people who were sort of misfits and uh, entrepreneurs themselves or whatever. Now we're hiring people who are really good at marketing and really good engineers, but have never been entrepreneurial or whatever. 
Are we losing our entrepreneurialism? So I was able to identify the conditions under which people uh, could become entrepreneurs, even if they'd never been that before, which was super interesting. Douglas, I'm curious. You, you've written all these pieces uh, before COVID and the pandemic has, has changed the world. And I'm, I'm curious, would you, have, would you have still written it as you, as you have today, knowing that how the world has changed? Has COVID flipped all of this sort of on its head? Or do we just evolve and still have these sort of mission statements? Do you hope that we just go back to the way things were, which all evidence seems like things will change a little bit uh, when we go forward? And lastly, I'm curious, the the woman that you wanted to get hired that got rejected, would she still be rejected in today's environment, you think? So I don't think COVID changes um, the purpose at all. There's nothing Nothing going to change. I mean, even if you're just going to drive 200 miles from your home and stay at an Airbnb, you're still going to want to feel welcome. Do you still want to get tips from the host about where to eat and where to avoid, all those kinds of things? It's going to stay the same. And um, likewise, the core values. I mean, I haven't uh, – <laughs> I mean, in a, in a way, working at Airbnb, a travel company, most of us were traveling a lot. And so we were always doing stuff on Zoom with people already. Because, you know, someone would be in Singapore, someone would be in Ireland, in Dublin, someone else would be in San Francisco. We played havoc with your sleep patterns, but uh, but anyway, we still did it. So, um, I don't know, but it'd be interesting to see. I don't think the culture will have changed much because the same people are still there. They still have the same values. They, they're going to interact with each other in the same ways. I really, really hope that, I mean, Zoom is great. And I'm sure it's made lots of efficiencies. And, but at the end of the day, nothing beats uh, face-to-face contact. That's the highest form of engagement, which leads to a feeling of belonging. So no, I hope, I hope it doesn't go away. Um, I hope there's still going to be offices or at least other reasons to meet somewhere face-to-face because we at Airbnb have, have you're know, referencing this thing called uh, One Airbnb, where every year Airbnb would fly in at the cost of millions, uh, all of the staff from all over the world. You know, by the time I left, that was about 4,000 people. So that's a huge amount of money to spend a week not doing their jobs, but simply hanging out with each other. I mean, there was a, you know, a very strict program of events, but the main goal was for people to rub together and get sticky, literally. Yeah. That was our goal. So. Well, I know that uh, the gathering is rescheduled for April of next year, and I know right. both Chad and I are, are hoping that uh, we can all all share face to face time uh, next year. Douglas, as always, it's a pleasure. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Chad. Unless you have anything else to add, we out. We out. We out. <laughs> this has been the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. And be sure to check out our sponsors because they make it all possible. For more, visit chadcheese.com. Oh yeah, you're welcome. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it 
from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.